Hello everybody, Tom Ziegert here. Welcome to my podcast, Theology 21st Century. Today my topic is sin and evil. These will not look like the concepts that your church has taught, but they should have been. As with last week's topic, I offer the apology that in this format, the subject cannot be exhaustive. So consider this a think piece, as all my podcasts are meant to be. Let's begin. The word sin is cited throughout the New Testament translations and on Sundays from Christian church pulpits around the world. I once bought a long-sleeve black crew-neck shirt with flames decorating the arms for the day I might preach a fire-and-brimstone sermon. Alas, that day never came, and I grew out of that shirt in the worst way. The Greek word translated in as many forms as sin is hamartia, which in Greek does not mean sin. Sin wasn't a concept that the Greeks ever put into words. I don't imagine they even had a concept of sin, so there was no reason to make a single word to mean it. They certainly knew love, though, since they had five words to describe ways to experience that. Hamartia, in its various parts of speech, means to miss, or to fail, or to miss the mark, as in an arrow shot that misses the bullseye. Once we begin to understand the real meaning of hamartia, perhaps we can get a better concept of what is really at stake when we humans miss the mark or fail to live up to standards of behavior that have been set by Jesus Christ. They are seen as mistakes that can be forgiven. Our immortal soul is not at stake if we err or miss the mark. Mistakes can be fixed, or, if not fixed, then made amends for. In fact, Jesus says that all our mistakes to miss the mark are forgivable. Only blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is unforgivable. There is a bigger word and idea than hamartia. The word is big enough to require the word metanoia to be its antonym. Metanoia is translated as repent. What it means is turn around, or change one's mind, or even turn back to. This bigger word is parabino. Its meanings are more about transgressing, deviating from the way, or turning aside from. You'll find Parabino in the Old Testament in sentences like this one in Exodus. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Turn away from Parabino. Another Greek word for turning away is apostrophe. It's the word you'll find in sentences like this one in the Gospel of Matthew. Give to him who begs from you, and do not turn away from him who would borrow from you. It's unfortunate that some of the translations do not use the appropriate phrase and use another like, do not refuse, instead of do not turn away from. 
It's inconsistencies of translations like this that have led us to misunderstand the nature of sin. If we seek to understand the nature of sin, I suggest it is in the phrase, turn away from. It is only by turning away from that we can turn back to. Turn back to, or metanoia, repent. It was the turning away from God and building an idol that was a sin. That is something God abhors. God does not abhor our mistakes, in the Old Testament or the New. It is the turning away from God that causes us to do evil in the sight of God. This being the case, then, there is only one type of sin, and it comes in two ways, turning away from God and turning away from the opportunities God sends us, parabino and apostrophe. A beggar asks for a handout. You don't want to give him something. Do not turn away. Change your mind. See God in this moment. Grasp what God has sent to you. This sentiment plays neatly into one of my favorite understandings of prayer. You see, humans are partners with God. It's in the contract we have with God that we call the testament or covenant. It requires that we have the power to act. You hear that old adage, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's a truism. Tyrants are born of power. God may be all-powerful, but if God used God's immeasurable power, then God would be a tyrant. So as not to be a tyrant, God shares the part of God's power that is the action part. Humans must enact God's will, but they don't have to. They have free will, you see. Humans can choose to not enact God's will. In this way, God is saved from tyranny. Thus, human beings are the agents of God's response to prayers. Someone prays, God hears. God assigns another to be the answer to that prayer. Circumstances play out whereby the two meet. Will the one assigned to answer the prayer fulfill his or her duty or turn away? The two commandments Jesus gives his disciples confirm this precept. Love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, do not turn away from God or your neighbor. A man slaps you on the cheek. In antiquity, a man would strike a slave or person of lower rank with the back of his hand. That reflected the contempt of higher rank toward a lower rank person. A man slaps you on the cheek, turn back to him, and offer the other one. This is recommended by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. In other words, do not turn away from him, turn back to him. Do not strike him back, lest he use his power in self-righteousness to destroy you. Rather, offer him your other cheek. If he strikes that, 
then he will do so with the front of his hand, and make you his equal by his own action. Thus the man must face his own character by your simple action of not turning away from him. He will confront his own evil, or he will sink into it. But he will now know what he is. This story is in the Gospel of Mark. The act of turning the other cheek is an act of rebellion in the guise of peaceful resistance. Mohandas K. Gandhi used this simple biblical passage to build a movement that overthrew British rule in India. So what is evil? The Greek word is ponera. I postulate that evil is that force which destroys, degrades, kills, or diminishes. In contrast, good is that force which creates, builds, increases, and nurtures. There are various lenses by which we understand that which happens around us. These lenses are born by our experiences, our culture, our relationship with God or lack thereof, and other things that I haven't figured out yet. There are various theological lenses by which scholars identify themselves once they recognize the lens in which they come to understand God. One of these identified lenses is process theology. Process theologians would agree with my statement of evil. Of course, they would wordsmith it beyond recognition. That is, they would make additions and conditional asides and pound it and shape it into something more sophisticated. But simply put, evil destroys and good creates. In his book series, Alvin Maker, Orson Scott Card clarifies for the general reader this concept of good and evil. If you really want to wrap your mind around this concept, spend some time reading this series. It's about an alternative American history. It's a fantasy series. An interesting insight into this concept of good and evil comes with examining our decisions and their consequences. Those decisions and actions which offer us more choices are good. Those which offer us less choices are evil. Think about your experiences with your decisions and actions and consider if they fit into this model and if you agree with my conclusion. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Thank you for listening in today. I hope you send me your thoughts on today's topic. If you like my podcasts, please leave a rating, a like, or a review, and subscribe to them so they can come to you. My blog site will have the supporting documentation or transcript I've written. If you're interested, please check that site. It is www.searching-for-god.com. Look for next week's podcast due out on Sunday, October 11th. May God continue to bless and keep you. Stay safe.